part series, Family Schmamly. Um, what we're talking about is something we learned from a mentor, Andy Stanley, and it, it so impacted us. We wanted to share it with you as accurately as possible because this is amazing information. Um, this ends it this week, and much of who you are and we are as uh, individuals, we are that way because of people, largely because of people that have come before us. And we can all think of someone in our live, lives who have influenced us, someone who, who kind of encouraged us and, and moved us in a positive direction because their influence is upon us. And as that person has influenced you, you are going to do the same thing for somebody in your family. Your decisions are going to impact the generations that come behind you. I look at my family tree and I see so many things that kind of encourage me and inspire me. I, we have one connection um, in my family tree to someone not so inspiring. It was the, the other Bolin sister. Um, if you know anything about the Bolins, especially the other sister, not a lot of great things. Maybe both sisters, I don't know, but but we're we have a connection to the other Boleyn. So outside of that scandal in our family, I look at some other things that are encouraging. Uh, we, when we go kind of way back in my family, uh, I have some Dutch ancestors and they were some property owners. They had titles, you know, that kind of went with it back in that day. And the, the young man of the family who was going to inherit all these things and who had the titles too, because he was part of the family, he fell in love with someone who was, who worked for them who was not a landowner. They didn't have titles. And you know what he did? He gave up all of his titles. He gave up all of his inheritance and he took her and they moved to America so he could get married. And that's how they started. And how cool is that? That he gave up all of that for her. Very cool. Very cool. So we've got that. That was encouraging in my family. And then, especially because of this time of year, I think about my family members who were uh, in the Revolutionary War. Um, and I look at my family tree and I see people who were in the Civil War. And so many people who have really been dedicated and, and they had lots of integrity. Um, one of my great-grandfathers in the Civil War, uh, he was uh, a POW. And when he finally got out, and I think it was really basically at the end of the war, um, when he got out, his best friend had been killed during the Civil War. And so my great-grandfather went home and um, over the course of years fell in love with and married the widow of his best friend. And then they moved because they uh, got land from the Oklahoma land rush. They got land. They moved to Oklahoma. And my, um, let's see, my great-grandfather on the other side, though, of the family, they actually ran in the land rush uh, in Oklahoma, and that's how they got their land. And both sides of my family, they were, uh, there was lots of dairy farms in, in what they did in their careers. Um, my grandfather, um, he was a dairy farmer, and he was also in World War One, not two. He was in World War One, and he drove an eight- team uh, mule, an eight mule team, um, and pulled artillery. And so when they got over into Europe, then um, they also, that's right when they were hitting that transition and they introduced trucks uh, to pull the artillery. And my grandfather um, refused to learn how to drive a truck. And so they put him on KP duty. And so he was on KP duty because he would not learn how to drive a truck. And so when they, over in Europe, they quickly discovered that the trucks could not get around in the mud and the muck 
in Europe. And so they had to go back and pull my grandfather back up, and he pulled artillery with his eight-mule team, and that's what he did in the war. And he was a man of very few words, so I don't know how that happened to me, because I know I, don't, I have quite a few words. And so, but, that's, but I, he was a man of integrity, and, and he was a man of honesty. And, and I look at my, and I was named after him, actually. Um, one of my middle names, I have many, one of my middle names is Fisher, and that's named after that great, uh, not great, that grandfather. And my grandfather on my other side, I was also named after him. His name was Harley. And he was a dairy farmer as well, and he was a man of his word. And what he said, that was just good enough because he did it. And my grandfathers would do whatever it took that was moral and ethical. They would do whatever it took to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish and needed to accomplish. And they would do whatever it took to do whatever they said they were going to do. Great men of integrity. And I look at my own father, and my father was in ministry for 60 years. And my father is the one who planted within me the seeds of weirdness. I mean, creativity, the seeds of creativity in me when I was just like in the fifth grade. And those things are still in my life today. You know, I am who I am largely because of the people who have come before me. That's the way it works. And in my family, there are generations and generations of what I would look at. I would say, man, that is integrity. And that has inspired me and that has motivated me and that has moved me. So here's the here's the point of all that. I am who I am because of my family that has come before me. You are who you are because of the family that came before you and the next generation will be who they are partly because of who you are. Now, we're going to be looking in the Bible this morning, and instead of going verse by verse, I'm going to tell you two stories. We can't put those stories all on the screen because we're talking about like 10 chapters each. I mean, there's a lot of story that we're going to cover today, but I'm going to let you know where these are so that you can go and find them and read them. And I encourage you to read them right out of God's word, but I'm going to summarize them for you this morning. And the, and our story really kind of starts out with a guy named Abraham. Abraham is the one that God said, I'm going to give you many, many, many descendants. But Abraham only had one son. So he's like, where are all these descendants going to come from? And God's like, well, just wait, just wait, you'll see. So he has one son. His name is Isaac. Now there's actually more if you know the whole story, but you'll have to go read it to get, get all that. We don't have time to cover that this morning, but he has this son named Isaac. Now Isaac has two sons. So he gets, does a little better. He's getting a little close to many, many descendants. He has two sons and they're actually, they're twins. It's Esau and it's Jacob. And then Jacob goes on and Jacob has 12 sons. And now we're getting more because it is from Jacob that the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, that's where they come from, the sons of Jacob. And so now we see kind of how that's going. So there's, so let's go back though. There's Esau and Jacob. They were twins. And um, Jacob, the second of those two twins, he has 12 sons. But we're going to start at the time, this story is going to start when Jacob only had 11 sons at this time. He had not yet had the last one. 
He had 11 sons. And this 11th son, the last son at this point, was hated by the other 10 brothers. Now, this story takes place from Genesis chapter 37 all the way through chapter 45. So I'm going to summarize all those chapters in these next few paragraphs here for you. So Joseph had 10 older brothers and they hated him because Joseph was the favorite son. We told you as we began that we really can't look in the Bible and say, oh, I want to be a a biblical family. Because when you look at the families in the Bible, most of them are pretty messed up. And in this scenario here, Jacob clearly had a favorite son, had a favorite wife, and his favorite son was Joseph, and everyone knew it. Joseph had special privileges, special treatment, and he was the youngest at this time, and that just didn't happen. So his other ten brothers were extremely mad. And here's what Jacob said. Jacob said, hey, Joseph, listen, go check on your other brothers. Here's what that really meant. Go spy on them. I want to know what's happening. So he heads out to kind of go check out what's happening with his brothers who were supposed to be working and they see him coming in the distance. And they are like, here comes that, that arrogant Joseph. The, he, he's coming to check on us, to spy on us. That brat, he is such a brat. And as they're talking, they get so mad, they, they like want to kill him. I mean, really, not figuratively. They really want to kill him, to end his life. And they're like, let's kill him. So when he gets up there, they take him and they throw him into an empty well and they're debating on how to kill him, what to do, if they should. And he's listening to all this. And then finally one of the brothers says, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. And let's tell our father that he died. <laughs> let's get rid of him. We're not going to kill him. Let's just sell him, get him out of our lives. And so we didn't have to kill him, but he's gone. Doesn't sound much better because they sell him into slavery. And then they say, hey, dad, look, I am so sorry. Your favorite son, he's dead. He's gone. Here's his robe. You can have his robe, at least. And he's sold into slavery. So now, Joseph, he's like 17 years old, and his life is like, it's over. Life as he has known it is over. It's done. He is now going to have, instead of life of privilege, he's going to have the life of a slave. And he's going to have to get used to it, because this will be his life for life. Now, he happens to be bought, he's purchased by a high-ranking official in Egypt. Now, Joseph continues to make decisions as if God were walking right beside him. But yet, when you look at the circumstances of Joseph's life, it's like, where is God? Because only terrible things are happening to Joseph. But yet, when Joseph makes a decision, he's making it as if God is there and he has shown his favor towards Joseph. And we're like, where... Where does Joseph get this kind of courage to live and make decisions as if everything is great when everything is actually horrible? So he's purchased by this official named Potiphar. That sounds like things are improving, and he gains Potiphar's confidence, so he's moving up in the slave world, as I guess as good as that could be. But here's the problem. Potiphar likes Joseph because he's a great worker. His wife, Potiphar's wife... She likes Joseph too, but not because he's a great worker, but because he is a handsome young man. And she has said in her mind, I am going to have an affair with you. That's her plan. That's what she decides. And Joseph still, 
I mean, he's making decisions as if God is walking right along with him, but yet all the circumstances don't seem to be showing that, but he's still making great decisions. He said, listen, I can't do that. Not going to do it. I'm not going to sin against my God. I'm not going to sin against your husband because you're married, Mrs. Potiphar. So he says, nope, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. And he takes off. As he's leaving, she grabs his row, and then he's gone, I guess naked, and she's got his robe. She's like, hey, listen, guys, he tried to rape me. Long story short, Joseph ends up in jail. He's trying to do the right thing. He's following God, serving God, making these decisions as if God is right with him, but yet Everything seems to be going wrong. So he's now in jail. So what's worse than being in jail? For Joseph, it would be being a slave in jail, which means you're just going to be there to rot, and you're just going to die there. That's it. But he continues to make decisions as if God is right there beside him, but yet all the circumstances seem to say that he's alone. But he wasn't, and he knew it. So he, he was making these great decisions, he interprets some dreams. Joseph is in jail for years. He interprets a couple of dreams for a couple of guys, and he's like, you're, you're going to die, blah, 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 but you're going to live, and you're going to get your job back with Pharaoh. And he said, please, when you go get your job back, when your job is given back to you, remember me. Don't leave me here to rot. Remember me. Get me out of this place because no one else is going to get me out of here. Will you get me out of here? And the guy's like, yep, I'll do it. So he, one guy gets killed. The other guy, yep, gets his job back. He's working for Pharaoh and he does nothing for Joseph. He just forgets about him as if it's almost on purpose. So here Joseph trying to do the right thing, living as if God is right there beside him, but yet all the circumstances would say, where is God? So this guy gets out, and Joseph is still in jail for years. Two years go by. Finally, something happens. Pharaoh has this dream, wants it interpreted. Nobody, nobody knows what it means. And so this guy is like, well, I guess I better say something. He's like, I know this guy from jail. And he interpreted my dream and so I, I just, maybe he could help you, Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh calls for him, and they, they dress him up, clean him up, wash him up. And by the time he gets done with all that, he probably looks like all the other Egyptians, but he's not Egyptian. He's Joseph. From, from the line of Jacob and, and, and Isaac and Abraham, he's Joseph. And, but he goes, and he stands before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him his dream and says, listen, I need you to interpret it. And Joseph is like, I can't, I, I can't, but my God can. And everybody suddenly, they gasp, They're like, what? And here's why they would say that, because, you know, then they saw Pharaoh as a God. And there, no one would say to Pharaoh, a God, in their eyes, that my God can tell you what you don't know, because you're not powerful enough, but my God can. And when Joseph said that, they were like, you are crazy to say that. But he tells him, he tells him here's what my God said your, dreams mean, your dream means, and he tells them what it means. And then Joseph doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell him, here's what you should do now, Pharaoh. So he gives him political advice, as if Pharaoh wouldn't be enough to know what to do. And everyone, once again, they gasp, what? Why would you, you're crazy, Joseph. You don't, you don't tell Pharaoh, who's a god to us, how to run his kingdom. But Joseph did. And you know what? 
Pharaoh liked it and put Joseph in second command. Pharaoh first, right under him was Joseph. And here's what Joseph said. Listen, Pharaoh, there's going to be like years and years and years of bad, of great, great, great harvest. And, you're, and you need to take all this harvest and store it because behind that are going to be years and years of no harvest. And the people are going to starve. But if you have saved everything, then you're going to be able to sell it to the people and to the other nations around you. And you will get their land and you will get their money and you will become the most wealthy, most powerful king ever. And Pharaoh is like, yep, going to do it. And he put Joseph in charge. And what Joseph said, as God had interpreted that dream, did happen. They had all these years of great, 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 great harvest, and Joseph made sure all this extra was stored. And then here came the bad years, just as God said. And this is where we pick up the story again, because now Joseph is two years into the bad time. It took them about that long for a lot of people to start running out of food. It took the first year, some of them had a little extra, but two years in, and so they started selling the food, getting land, getting property, getting money for, for the food. This is where the stories merge again, because Jacob, who's Joseph's father, Jacob says, sons, you're going to have to go to Egypt, and you're going to have to buy food, or we're going to starve. So they go to Egypt, and they go to buy food, and there they are. Now, this is 22 years after the point that Joseph was sold by those very brothers into slavery. So now Joseph at that time was the youngest. Now there's, now there's a younger brother than him. But the 10 older brothers are still older, obviously. But Joseph now, not a teenager, Joseph is now about 39 years old. His brothers long have forgotten him long have forgotten what they did. And they walk in, they don't recognize Joseph because he looks like an Egyptian, but Joseph recognizes them. 22 years later, Joseph as a 39 year old man, he sees them bow before him and he can remember he can remember their voices. He can remember the terror when he was thrown into the well. He can remember their smiles and their laughter as they were talking about killing him and then turning him into a slave. He remembers in that moment their hurt. He remembers their harm. He remembers all of it. He remembers then his years that he spent in jail, his years that he has been a slave. And it was all their fault. He remembers it all. He remembers the unfairness. And here they are bowed low in front of him. And Joseph remembers the pain that they caused. But Joseph also remembers something else. He remembers a scene from his childhood and this is a part of the story that never really gets linked up with the story I just told you. He remembers this scene from, a chi from his childhood, but both of these stories are so attached, they are completely attached. I'm going to tell you this other story. So we're going to have to rewind. Right here, Joseph is 39 years old, but we're going to rewind all the way back from right now, 39 years old, he's in about chapter 45, right in there of Genesis. 
but we're going to rewind all the way back to Genesis chapter 25 through chapter 34. And let me tell you this story. This story starts with the father, the father of Joseph, and his name was Jacob. Now, Jacob, as a teenager, you know, you remember Jacob was a twin. His twin brother was Esau. So Esau was the firstborn, which means that means very special things in that day. It means he got the double blessing and the, the largest inheritance. He would get most of his father's wealth. He would get the, the big share of wealth. He also would be declared the family judge, which would be the authority over the whole clan, just because he was born first. That's why. That's Esau. Now, Esau, not the sharpest tool in the shed necessarily, but he was very strong and he was a great hunter. Joseph, I mean, I'm sorry, Jacob, not necessarily thought of as the strong one, but he did happen to be a good cook. He was a great cook. Now, here's what goes down. They're teenagers. Esau comes in from a bad hunt. Maybe it was a long hunt. I don't know, but he comes in really hungry. And as only a teenager would do, he has one thing on his mind. He wants to eat and eat a lot. And he smells this amazing food that, that Jacob has been cooking. And he's, you know, he's like, listen, I've, I've had this bad hunt. I haven't been eating. I, I, I'm starving here. Let, will you let me have some of this amazing food you've prepared? And Jacob, he is pretty crafty. And he says, sure, 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 sure. You can have some, but it's going to cost you, bro. It's going to cost you. And, and he's like, yeah, sure. Anything you want, Esau says. And he says, I want your birthright, which means I want your double portion. When dad dies, I want your inheritance. You can have mine. I want yours. I want the double. I want the lot. Give it to me. Now, when teenagers were thinking, just think back to the time you were a teenager. Here's what we're thinking. I want what I want and I want it now. I want, I want what I want, and I want it now. And right now, I want some food. Doesn't matter. Everything else can go away. And so he treated it that way, which was really a slap in, his, in the face to the father that he would treat it so lightly. But that's what he did. And he just gave away his birthright. Jacob scored the birthright just with some good food. There you go. He got it. Double portion. He was going to be extremely wealthy. Wow. That's scene one. Now here's scene two of Jacob the younger and Esau the older. Scene two, their dad, Isaac, is older now, and he's near death, and so he knows, I've got to pass on the blessing, which means I've got to, uh, to announce the family judge, who's going to rule over this family, and it's going to be Esau, because Esau was the firstborn, so he still, he may have given away his birthright, but he still has that, he's going to be the authority figure of the whole family. But here's what happens, Jacob along with the help, a lot of help from his mother, who also is the mother of Esau, by the way, Jacob and his mother conspire to trick the father. And now the father is blind. He can't see at this point. So they go through this elaborate set of things to make the father believe that he is talking to Esau. They just lie to him. They want that blessing. They want to be declared judge. So they go through all this, and that's what happens. Isaac declares Jacob, thinking he's talking to Esau, declares Jacob the judge of the family, and it can only happen once. It was a legal thing. He couldn't take it back. 
Once it, had, once it came out of his mouth, it was done. And so Jacob gets that blessing and he goes out of the tent. And, and a little bit later, Esau comes in to receive that blessing. And Isaac's like, what do you mean, Esau? I just gave it to you. That wasn't you. That was your brother. He said, I'm sorry, I can't take it back. It's done. It's, it's a legal thing. It's, it's done. And Esau is so angry because the first time he gave his stuff away. But this time it was stolen. And Esau is so mad. And here's what he says. He says, I, you know, when my dad dies, I'm going to kill Jacob. I'm going to kill him. And then I will get that birthright back. And I will also be the family judge. I'll get the blessing at that point. I'm going to kill my brother when my father dies. Word gets to Jacob. And they say, Jacob, dude, you're going to have to get out of here because he is going to kill it. When your father dies, you are dead. That's how long you have to hide. So you better go hide. And Jacob does. He's, he's kind of smart. He goes and hides. He hides. He goes to another town, another city, and hides at his uncle's house. And the crazy thing is, his uncle, he is shady, just like Jacob was shady. And he bamboozles Jacob, just like Jacob had bamboozled Esau. He kind of gets what he deserved. But he's hiding for 20 years. And during that 20 years, he he's a rancher. He becomes, he gets very wealthy ranching. Very wealthy. And then he also, during that time, marries four wives. Uh, maybe not so smart, maybe. I mean, we know that's not a great idea, but he does marries four wives, and that's where he starts having his kids. He has 11, at this point, he's going to have 12, but at this point, he now has 11 children, four wives, lots of ranch animals. Very wealthy. And his uncle comes to him and his cousins, and they say, listen, you just got too much. You're eating up all the food. You got to go. Your animals got to go. And, and your ranch has to go, and your family got to go. And so God says, Jacob, I want you to go. Jacob, God says, I'm going to send you back. I'm going to send you back home. Now, this has been 20 years. 20 years he was away. You're going to have to go back home, Jacob. Take all your wives, all your animals, everything. All your wealth, go. Go back home. So Jacob's like, God, I don't you know Esau's back there, right? Esau. And God said, that's where I'm going to send you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you, Jacob. I'm going to be with you. Go back home. It's like, you better be with me, God, because... Esau's there, and if he sees me, he's going to kill me, he's going to kill my children, he's going to marry my wives, and he's going to take my animals, because I, for some reason he's mad at me. You better be with me. And you know what? All 11 children knew that Uncle Esau was mad at Dad. They're like, Dad done lost his mind. We're going back? It, isn't Uncle Esau mad at us? Isn't he angry? Doesn't he want to kill us? And they like, uh-huh. Probably. We're going back. 
Esau hears that Jacob is on his way to the homeland. So here's what Esau does. Esau gathers up from his family 400 men, not just men, 400 warrior men from his family, an army. And they go out. They don't wait for Jacob. They go out towards Jacob. They start out after him. And Jacob hears, he's like, he's starting to prepare. He's like, okay, I got to get ready to meet Esau. So he, the day is coming. They're going to meet today because they've, they've come together. So J- Jacob lines up his wives and their children. And then at the end of that line of family, he places his favorite wife, Rachel, and her one child, Joseph, his favorite son. And they all knew his favorite. He puts them at the end of this family line. And he's got all of his wealth and all of his possessions there, lots and lots of stuff. And he lines it all up. And Joseph, I mean, Jacob then goes to the front of this family line. And there's Esau and the army in the distance. And here comes Jacob and his family and everything they have. And Jacob walks a little ways, and then he bows very low. And he gets back up. He walks a little bit further, and he stops. And he bows very, very low. He gets back up, and he goes. He does this seven times as he's moving towards Esau, being very humble very, very humble. He's bowing very low and he stands up. Esau has had enough. And Esau takes off right straight towards Jacob. And as soon as he gets to Jacob, he wraps his arms around him and he embraces him and they start crying and they weep. And Esau looks up after a moment and he sees all the family He's like, who, who are these people? And Jacob's like, these are my, this is my family, my children. And so one at a time, they come before wife and children. They come before Esau and, and they bow down. And the next group comes and they bow down all the way to Rachel and Joseph. And Rachel and Joseph get in front of Esau and they bow low before Esau. And that story, can you imagine how often that story was repeated and replayed among the family as Jacob would tell his children and set Joseph down as well and say, Joseph, you are here today because your uncle didn't kill us. Your uncle spared us instead. He reconciled with us. Your uncle, Joseph, Joseph, you're alive because your uncle had mercy upon us, had grace upon us. Your uncle Esau had grace and mercy. Now, fast forward again. That's Joseph as a very young boy. Now, fast forward back to Egypt. And now Joseph, after 20 years of slavery caused by his brothers 
Joseph now has in his hands the power of life or the power of death for his brothers who really deserve to die. But Joseph in that very moment does the very thing he personally experienced from his uncle Esau. Joseph gives his undeserving brothers grace and he gives them mercy. Joseph gives them life. He gives them reconciliation. And with great emotion, with conflicting emotions, Joseph chooses to extend mercy to those brothers, the mercy they didn't deserve. And he goes and embraces them and they all embrace and they weep and they cry. Now here's the moral of the story. Today's takeaway from both of these stories as we pull them together, what your children and your grandchildren, what your nieces and your nephews, what they see you do, what they see you do, will lay a groundwork for what they choose to do in a time of crisis. What you do sets a pattern for them, a role model for them. When doing the right thing is difficult, when saying, when, when saying the right thing is tough, when, when staying was tough, it would have been much easier to quit. When, when not paying the debt was the easy thing, but you didn't do that. When, when staying and hanging in there and, and sticking around and not giving up, you see, what you do in your life sets a pattern, a role model for your family. Here are some questions. What if? What if they follow your pattern of how you pick a spouse? What if they follow your pattern of how they pay their bills? What if they follow your pattern of how they keep a job? What if they follow your pattern of how they handle alcohol? What if they follow your pattern of how they choose friends? What if they follow your pattern of how they handle stress? What if they follow your pattern of how they save money? And what if they follow your pattern of how they submit to authority? What if they follow your pattern of how they treat their spouse? What if they follow your pattern with what they do in school? What if they follow your pattern? You see, future decisions in and around your family, they're going to be made with the imprint of your life in mind. So our bottom line today says this. Actions don't merely speak louder than words. What you do now echoes and echoes for generations later. What will echo from your life into the next generations? You see, actions don't merely speak louder than words. What you do now echoes and echoes for generations later. That can be tough for us. But you know what you do right now, you have an opportunity. Yes, may, maybe, if you're like me, maybe you have made some mistakes 
Maybe you've made some devastating mistakes, but I want you to know this today. Right now, this very moment, you can begin to make new decisions. Right now, starting now, you can choose to change some patterns. And you can leave something new behind. And that will echo for generations. If there was ever a reason to stay in church every single week, that's a great reason. If there were ever a reason to keep going to your small group, even when you're emotionally exhausted from the day and you would rather just go home and shut the door on the world. If there were ever a reason to keep going, that's a great reason. If there were ever a reason to continue to take next steps with Stuttgart Harvest Church, that's a great reason. Because actions do not merely speak louder than words. What you do now echoes and echoes for generations later. Now maybe, just maybe you have really blown it. But I want you to know, you can make different decisions today, starting now. Right now, from this day forward, you can change the patterns that you leave behind. What you do consistently, starting today, will echo later. Don't give up. And don't sell yourself short and quit. Keep coming. Keep submitting. And allowing God to change you from the inside out. And you leave some new patterns for those future generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for the parent who regrets some patterns that they have left. God, we pray for the grandparent who looks and they see some places where they just blew it when they were parents. God, we pray for the aunts and the uncles, the brothers and the sisters. God, we ask that you would help us to begin, starting now, to set new patterns in our lives as we submit to you. God, we pray for the single person right now that they might get it right the first time. God, we pray for that person who's struggling with the decision that they're trying to make that they know needs to be made. I pray that they would think beyond the immediate of that decision and they would see how that decision will echo into the next generation. God, help us to start right now to live a life, a story worth telling. God, this is so hard to do. Help us remember that our actions are going to echo into the future. It is in the name of Jesus. You, Jesus, your death and resurrection has echoed for 2,000 years. 
It is in your name that we pray. Amen.